Chaos or crisis is the most common way for us to evolve to some sort of higher order, but it's also not guaranteed. Leaders that choose to ask the right questions of themselves and of others are the ones that are going to be the most helpful. Because in a time of fear and scarcity, uncertainty, doubt, where people are getting sucked into problems, on the largest scale of our lifetime, every one of those very true experiences right now spins everybody into a certain psychology. The bigger crisis of this all, it's not what's going to happen to our bank accounts. It's the mental health crisis on the other side of this. And so the leaders who are willing to understand that and then know how do I counter or remedy these disempowering states, the leaders that emerge as the ones that others will look back and be so thankful for are the ones who honor what's going on inside of people right now to serve that with the right conversations and from that place also help people to actually solve problems in whatever cooperative ways they can. Great challenges call forth extraordinary leadership and the leaders who survive and thrive through challenging times are the ones who are able to ask the kinds of questions that help themselves evolve and that help others to manage emotions and solve problems. John Berghoff has studied leadership at a level that few can match. In this conversation, he offers concepts to form a crisis leadership playbook, starting with inner contemplative practices and ways of helping others direct their focus, and even including some cutting edge strategies for using video conference technology to create belongingness and connection and to bring out the cooperative capacity in groups you lead. What follows here is a masterclass on how to view and tackle what for many is the largest collective challenge of our lifetime. This is my most recent conversation with the legendary John Berghoff. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to this special episode of the podcast. We have John Berghoff with us today, and we are going to talk about some of the things that are going on in the world right now and how leaders can be responding to these things. John was a Cutco rep who raised the bar for the entire company through his spectacular and unprecedented achievements. Now, John is a respected business leader with an international following. He teaches leaders how to multiply their influence through the use of the exchange method of uniting groups of people, facilitating events, and leading 
others to embrace revolutionary challenges and opportunities. And that's exactly where we find ourselves today at the cusp of a revolutionary challenge and what can be revolutionary opportunities. John not only was willing to give his time to uh, have this conversation with me today, but he suggested that we get together and that we talk about this stuff at such a critical moment. So John Berghoff, thanks so much for making time to be here. Hey, Dan, it's good to see you, man. It's really good to see you (laughs) in the most of unusual circumstances, you know? Indeed, indeed. So why don't you just start out by telling us some of your thoughts on what's happening right now? Yeah, I'm no more informed on where the world's going than the next person. I can't help but be really dialed into what's happening because here at Exchange, we've been studying systems for nine years, uh, starting with learning from Peter Senge, Otto Scharmer, Margaret Wheatley. These are just pioneering leaders who for decades have been trying to understand what happens at the scale of a group of people or any group of people. And I guess the first thing I'd say is my, my heart goes out to anybody who's listening to this who finds themselves facing not just challenges that they've never faced, that they don't have a playbook for, but for what that can do in, in terms of the fear that is very fair to be feeling. I think we're all in this together. And in my lifetime, I don't, I'm not aware of a time where the whole world had one mission. There's certainly a gift in that. But my heart goes out to folks who are facing challenges that I know I can't relate to. And also to the folks on the front lines, Dan, we have a lot of doctors that have been trained in our approach who right now are putting themselves at risk, their families at risk. And I know that I can't relate to what that is like to be working in the healthcare system right now. So I just want to send love and appreciation to all those folks. And, and I think as an entrepreneur for me, as a father and a husband, I think uh, this is a time that's going to invite, I know it's inviting me to really think about who I want to be. And I think a crisis creates an opportunity. I don't know that it's guaranteed for all of us to really shape or reshape our identity. And that just leads to more questions around who do I want to be and how can I serve and how can I not only put on my own oxygen mask to take care of myself, but help others right now. And I think part of the gift that comes from this is the the humanity and the generosity that this crisis has brought out of so many different corners of the earth. And I think whatever the other side of this is and whenever it is, I think there's so much that people are doing right now to try and help each other that is going to deliver unexpected um, positive consequences in the long run. So those are some of my just initial thoughts. Yeah, definitely. It certainly is a a critical opportunity for all of us to evolve as humans, for us to evolve some elements of our businesses. And one of the things that I heard you say about this was the idea that there are reasons, a lot of reasons for hope for a better future that can come on the other side of this. And uh, those are some of the things that I'm looking forward to seeing. And so as leaders, tell me about the kinds of leaders that you feel like are most likely to be able to thrive through this challenge and be able to overcome it in the the, the strongest possible fashion. Yeah. I was talking with a mutual friend of ours, Christopher Lockhead, the other day. And, you know, he's has a relationship with four-star generals like Stanley McChrystal, who he's had on his show. And he was telling me that, you know, one of the things he's learned is that you have peacetime leaders and you have wartime leaders. And you know, there's some folks that are listening to this right now who might be the kind of person who 
has discovered in the last few weeks that they actually, or maybe they already knew this, that they actually thrive in a crisis. There might be some listening who that's not how they feel they are responding. I think at the end of the day, you, know, you talked about there's this like forced evolution that's put upon us. You know, from a, if you study a system, chaos or crisis is the most common way for us to evolve to some sort of higher order, but it's also not guaranteed. And I think those of us that hopefully can come out on the other side of this in a way that we'll be proud of looking back on it, I think it's going to start within. I think it's going to start, you know, now is the best time ever for any leader to really strengthen their own inner contemplative practices, whether it's prayer or meditation or mindfulness or spending time in nature to get more deeply connected, more finely and more attuned with what's going on inside of us. Because even if we learn how to execute the right playbook externally, there's a quote from a a legendary teacher who we admire here at Exchange uh, by the name of Bill O'Brien. He was the CEO of Hanover Insurance for many years. And he, he used to say that the, the quality of any intervention will always be a reflection of the interior condition of the intervener. And so we have to remember that as leaders, whatever's going on at a cellular level inside of us is going to reflect and refract outwards to others. So I think about that with my kids. Like, how do they see me responding to this? So that's step one, Dan. And then I think when we look outwards, leaders that choose to ask the right questions of themselves and of others are the ones that are going to be the most helpful, right? Because in a time of fear and scarcity, uncertainty, doubt, where people are getting sucked into problems, on the largest scale of our lifetime, every one of those very true experiences right now spins everybody into a certain psychology. And so the leaders who are willing to understand that and then know how do I counter or remedy these disempowering states, and it doesn't mean we're ignoring, it doesn't mean we're discrediting. We do a lot of work with the suicide prevention field here at Exchange, and we're very well aware that the the bigger crisis of this all, it's not what's going to happen to our bank accounts. That could be or already is really painful for a lot of us. It's the mental health crisis on the other side of this. Totally. So. The the leaders that emerge as the ones that others will look back and be so thankful for are the ones who honor what's going on inside of people right now to serve that with the right conversations and from that place also help people to actually solve problems in whatever cooperative ways they can. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the questions people should be asking, John, because I find myself experiencing anxiety these days at a level that I have not really known in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that on the scale of someone who is sort of cool, calm, and collected, typically, I sort of put myself in like the upper echelon of that, maybe maybe like the top 1%, you know, typically. And as I'm going through my day-to-day life, I'm just finding all of these things that I'm concerned about. Sometimes it's things in my own, you know, my own life or my own business, but more so it's, it's outside of my own life. I feel like, you know, whatever happens through this particular crisis, I'm going to be fine. As you said, like the finances of this, like we're all going to take a hit. We're all going to get hurt for sure. But ultimately yeah. that's not going to make much difference in my mm-hmm. life. But the mental side of this is really something I'm grappling with. I'm constantly feeling anxiety on both sides of this in terms of, you know, if I cough or sneeze, like I'm like, oh my God, you know, do I have this now? You know, what do I do about it? 
And then the other side of this is where I'm seeing, you know, our communities be ravaged by the crisis that's happening because people are not working, they're not living. And as you said, there's, that's a mental health crisis more so than just a financial crisis. And so I'm worried. I feel anxious. Sometimes I'm not sleeping too well. And I feel like I'm very mentally strong. So what is everybody else experiencing? And, you know, how can we refocus our minds through the questions we ask to move ourselves in a positive direction, you know, with our inner game? Yeah. Maybe you could speak to that for a while. By the way, I'm right there with you. And let me just honor and acknowledge you, Dan. I know you're just, you're being you and you're presenting a question, but what you just did, if we ended this episode and anybody's listening, if they did nothing but model what you just did, which is be willing to be authentic and real, that is needed right now. That rises to the top. Your willingness to express in a very public forum how you're feeling, and in particular, that deep anxiety, that's important. It's really important that anybody in a leadership position create the permission for people to realize that however they feel is acceptable, right? So I want to acknowledge that. That's really important. And you also, you're pointing out that, gosh, you've always felt like you're someone who had certain things together and wow, look at what this is doing for you. What could it be doing for so many others? And by the way, as a side note, I'm not saying this is true for you, but Anybody who considered themselves a control freak right now, you're really struggling <laughs> because I think if a, if a pandemic like this could teach us anything, it's that uh, a lot of things that we thought were in our control are not, you know, but what we can do, and you've taught me this for 20 years, Dan, is that we can't control anything, but we can influence. And so the questions that I think will help us to influence our own inner and outer world and that of others you know, there's a few of them. And I think, I mean, you think about the idea that when we feel like we've lost control, one of the things that brings down a culture of any group faster than anything else is the experience of shared victimhood, right? The collective feeling that we have no power over something. And I think we've got to ask ourselves, well, how do we find a sense of responsibility for how we show up, right? To counter that kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. I think when there's widespread scarcity and fear for our survival, you know, we've got to ask questions like, well, when in my life have I been resilient? When in my life, and we're doing a lot of this right now, I'm leading a panel of CEOs in a couple of hours. And I think one of the first questions I'm going to ask them is think of a time in your life where you faced an obstacle for which you had no challenge, no playbook, no precedent, no solutions, yet you somehow came through it on the other side. We're going to have them share those stories with each other. We'll probably actually have them reflect back. What are the strengths that I saw in you from that story? And we'll then we'll have them study their own stories and say, what could we learn from when we've overcome crises in the past that we didn't think we could? But it's that question that invites the possibility of resilience. Or another example is, you know, when we get captivated by what's wrong or what's not working, is just asking ourselves, what could the solutions be? Because the opposite of a problem is a solution, but it's so easy to never even ask that question. What's the smallest step that I could take right now? I think for leaders, Dan, who are leading others to recognize how isolated and alone people can feel. Interesting thing about loneliness, there's a lot of research on this idea that you can feel lonely standing in a crowd of people. Loneliness was already an epidemic in our country. And now we are literally quarantined in this moment. So that's just a multiplication of loneliness. And the challenge for a leader who has never felt lonely 
is they may not have related two weeks ago. It's probably even harder to understand what it could feel like for people right now where they can't literally leave their homes. And so we've got to ask, how do we create these instant experiences right now of belonging and deep connection? And we got an answer. We'll talk about that in a minute. We've been doing it here at Exchange, literally around the clock, facilitating group dialogues on these Zoom platforms. But Dan, these are some of the, you know, the kinds of questions we've got to be asking. And I think in a time where we're afraid, even at the level of survival, we even have to stop and ask, how can we reconnect to some sense of a, a meaningful purpose in all this, a noble purpose? And it goes back to how this call started, that a lot of our luxuries and comforts and things we took for granted that could go away, maybe they'll come back. Maybe they'll come back soon. Maybe they won't. We got to reconnect to a deeper sense of meaning through all of this. And I know that's easier to say than it is to do, but I think by asking these types of questions, you know, here we are in a, in a sea of chaos and we need leaders to ask, how can I choose to be an island of sanity in that sea of chaos? And you know, these questions and these types of conversations, I think, are just a starting point, hopefully. Yes, for sure. Some of the things you shared there, I really uh, resonated with, for sure. The idea of how, how do I find a sense of responsibility for how I'm showing up mm-hmm. in this? Because that is one yeah. thing we are all responsible for, for sure, is how we show up on a daily basis for our family, for our colleagues, for our communities. And the line of questioning of considering, you know, when, when was a time in my life when I, ha- when I faced a challenge that I had no playbook for, where I was resilient? In my mind, quickly, a few things came, came into my head and trying to bring back the feelings and emotions of those times. And, you know, what was it that made me determined to get through? I think that can be helpful okay. for a lot of people to be considering. And, uh, you know, connecting to a meaningful purpose, like that's a very profound thought that people can consider that, that uh, can certainly give them more guidance on you know how they should be operating today and tomorrow you know as we're going through the short term parts of this of this challenge right now yeah totally there's never been a greater opportunity for anyone who sees themselves as a leader to practice leadership right now cuz every single person you interact with you know there's a greater chance now than there was 2 weeks ago that whoever you're talking with could really use you showing up the right way. So, you know, there's an opportunity that's pretty, pretty vast right now to bring these kinds of questions to any possible conversation. Yeah. How are you doing this stuff personally, John? How are you managing things just at home, you know, with your wife and three kids? And yeah, how how are you thinking about the future of your business and your, your uh, personal life right now? Yeah. Well, I mean, I got to give a lot of credit to Mara. She's heroic to have the kids they're supposed to be, I got a shout out to all the moms out there. And, uh, I saw this meme that got texted around. I'm sure everyone's seen it by now. That was like, there's a, there's this little video that, that, uh, my brother texted to me and it's a, it's about a middle-aged man. And you hear someone on the other side of the camera saying, I'm going to give you two options right now. Option A is stay at home with your wife and kids every day. And the guy jumps in and goes, B. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we can laugh, but I hope that anybody listening understands that really all that is, is an appreciation that for any mother that was taking care of kids or homeschooling, I look at what my wife's doing to to keep our kids occupied and educated right now. It's crazy. So, so much respect for all of the moms and dads who are finding themselves thrown into this whole new dynamic where kids are not at school. 
So a lot of that credit goes to her. You know, I'm watching her t- starting to teach yoga classes online, which is really cool. And our kids, I mean, they think this is all interesting. They, they still love it because they have, you know, oh, we're not in school. I think at some point they're going to get tired of that. I've tried to get our kids out into nature a lot more. In fact, I got our kids into nature last week more than I had in the prior five years. It's funny. The thing that a month ago, if you would have said, John, what's the thing you're most disappointed in as a father in yourself? It was that I haven't gotten my kids into nature as much as I would have liked to. And literally this happens and in, a, in one weekend. We're out there more than I've been out there for years. So that was a silver lining. And, and then at work, we're in a very unique position, Dan, as you know. Like we're, the business that we were in was already the business of designing questions and choreographing conversations to help groups of people to tap into their genius. And so when this corona thing hit, I was really caught off guard. Like I'd love to claim some genius here or intentionality. I never saw this coming. Because our work has already been kind of emphasized around how we lead groups in a room, whether it's leading a team or a conference or a learning environment. And when this all hit, you know, our own customers came to us. They said, well, we need what we were hiring you before, but we need it even more. And you need to figure out how to do it online. In the last 10 days, probably facilitated amongst myself and our faculty, we probably facilitated 50 or 60 online critical meetings, gatherings. None of these are like fire drills. This is the real thing. With groups of 20, 50, 100, 200. Last night, I, I was coaching, I think it was three or 400 meeting planners who just had to move all their in-person events online. And I was telling them, here's what we did over the last seven days. And um, so that's what we've been doing. And we have, a, we have a webinar that we're running every several days right now. I don't know whenever this gets published, if we'll still be doing it. But someone goes to our website, exchange, the letter X, the word change, exchangeapproach.com. They can get access to it where we're actually leading leaders through what we're doing right now so they can get off that webinar and go do it themselves. And just to be clear, what we're doing that we're finding is really being helpful is we're bringing groups of people onto Zoom platforms mm-hmm. and we're moving them in and out of different size conversations and conversations that serve different purposes. I'll give you a couple examples if I could. So like uh, yesterday, one of our clients is a company that overnight they had to shut off all their revenue because of the type of business they're in. And we were talking to their executives two days ago and their executive said, we need a whole new strategy. And now they're already clients of ours. And so they, they knew that our first question was going to be, okay, who do we want to bring together tomorrow or the next day on a Zoom conference call so that we can solve these problems fast? And so instead of it being four of us, there were 38 people on the call. And, um, and the way it played out is a third of the people on the call were executives, a third were the kind of regional level managers, and a third of the people on the call were customers. And I walked onto the call and Dan, the first thing I said is, what we're about to do, I've never done. Let's see how it goes. We had technology problems. The internet was crashing yesterday morning. Absolute transparent vulnerability. I told them, I said, I'm going to try and lead you through something right now that we've done 100 to 200 times in person. I don't know if this is going to work. Let's see if it works. And right now, this whole world of trying to collaborate online, people are forgiving. They're generous. They're compassionate. It's like, don't worry about it being perfect get the right people in the right conversations. And I'll tell you what we did with this group as one example. So the CEO said to everyone on the call, he said, here's the four topics. We got to figure out how to do this with our website. We got to figure out how to do this with our newsletter. We got to figure out how to do this with our social media. And we got to solve something around whatever the other topic was. And we said, is everybody clear on the four topics? 
We said, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're going to push a button. You're going to get sent into four different breakout rooms. You have 20 minutes. And in those 20 minutes, you have three steps. Step number one is everyone in that room, eight to 10 people per room, is going to go around and share whatever your best ideas are in responding to the question in that category the CEO gave. Step number two is after everybody shared their ideas, you're going to step back and see are there themes, commonality. Now, we had our facilitators in there to help with this too. But we said step two is you're going to look for what were the biggest or best ideas. And then finally, you're going to prepare to come back and present it to the rest of the group. That was the essence of it. And Dan, the start of the call was so clunky. I told him I had, didn't know what we were doing. Our internet was breaking down. Nobody could hear anybody. 30 minutes later, they all come back and they present ideas that all of them in real time were going, my gosh, in our whole existence as a company, we've never worked this well together. And so a crisis can bring a cooperative capacity out of people, but none of that works if we don't stop and go, what are the questions to ask and how do we involve the right people? So that was a very dynamic, like problem solving. We've got one hour and they're now moving to market with the solutions. But there's, there's a lot of different types of conversations we're facilitating. We're also facilitating ones where we're bringing people on and just asking them, where are you seeing the best in humanity right now? And they're sharing stories of where they're seeing the best in humanity coming alive so that they as a group, whether it's entrepreneurs or a book club or a church, and one of our facilitators lead a 200-person congregation from their church yesterday, brought them on and said, what does endless love look like? And they all had dialogues around that because that's what they wanted the theme to be. So whether it's something deeply inner and psychological and emotional, or it's something really strategic and solution-oriented, it's never been easier to get people onto one of these Zoom platforms. Everyone's stuck at home. So that's what we're doing right now. And you know, people want to learn how to do this from us, go to our webinar. I run them personally live every time. And uh, it's at exchangeapproach.com. We're doing them every couple of days. And then you know, if somebody wants training on this, they can talk to our faculty and they can tell them if it's really a good idea. So that's yeah. just a few examples of what we're doing. Hope that's helpful. Yeah, that's awesome, John. That's awesome. Let's talk more about how people who are listening could utilize some of what you're teaching and sharing through digital platforms, through Zoom or whatever it is that they're doing. Great. So you know the Vector Cutco audience in particular. That's going to be a big chunk of who's listening to or of who will listen to this. And so, you know, if I'm a uh, Cutco district manager and I've got my team and I want to be able to get my team together, you know, throughout uh, each week in different ways and have different different conversations that are moving the needle, what are mm-hmm. some of the things I can be doing? So I'm going to make a bold statement. And I'm only saying this because for the last 12 days, we've been through the clock. I've had multiple nights. I'm here till 3, 4 a.m. because we're working with people in Australia and all over the place. This works. And everything that I know that you guys do in team meetings and trainings, here's an example. Let's talk about training. And a lot of this would transfer to a team meeting. Yeah. I know you're training well. And this is, it's a great model. It's a beautiful model. And the last time I was through it was 20 years ago. So I'm sure it's improved even more. But any training organization... (laughs) There's a couple fundamentals. If you're training people, you've got to teach them some information. And then in your case, they practice it. They role play it. If anyone doesn't know this, you could have 25 people on a Zoom call, teach them something, push one button. They're broken into pairs. They role play for 15 minutes. A little timer tells them when they're out of time. You push a button. They all come right back in the main room. And, uh, and then you go from there. And while they're role playing, guess what you could do? Or you or your assistant managers you can go drop in on their room and watch them role play. Tell them in advance you'd be doing that so they don't freak out. But I mean, there are certain things right now that work better online than they did in person, which for me is like finding a new religion overnight because our whole world was about the magic is in the room. 
Right. It always will be. And I never would have believed how open, vulnerable, and how productive these virtual settings could be. But I mean, you give me any scenario of what you do, training, team meeting, you can do it all on a virtual platform like the one we're on right now. So the idea of uh, teaching and then splitting people up for role play, that's a great one for training people. What other thoughts do you have on, uh, on how a training organization can better train their people or the idea of group meetings, you know, yeah. how those so, can be better? A couple of thoughts. One is you got to get all the tech dialed in quickly. And here's the best part about it. It's nearly free. You know, whatever you and I are paying for this platform, it's a few bucks a month. To test it and to figure it out is instant. I get four of my buddies on and in 20 minutes, we'll have this all dialed in right now. The only problem is without the experience, you don't realize some of the things that happen in real time. We're working right now on a whole set of resources that we're giving away as fast as we can. And anyone who comes to our webinar through our site, as we build these resource lists on here's like Zoom etiquette, this is a whole thing, right? Like that you have to rebuild a culture. It's like learning a new language. Think of how hard it was to learn how to do something in a room. What's all the etiquette around virtual? You know, you and I see each other. We both chose to get dressed just like we were going to work. A lot of people use the idea that we're virtual as an excuse to not show their video. We got to get past that really quickly because what if 20 of us were in a training and seven of us had a paper bag over our heads? We'd think those guys are sociopaths. And yet on these Zoom calls, people show up and don't show their camera. We got to bring the humanity into these spaces where we're trying to make up for not being in the room together. So there's some etiquette things that we have to learn. That's one of many examples. But there's also really basic things. And by the way, we can stream music into these calls. It's so easy to do. There's, you're two clicks away from me being my own DJ right now. Here's a great practical thing to do in a training environment. Let's say somebody gives a presentation or a talk of some kind. You know, One of the risks of going from in-person to online is how do we keep people engaged, right? So, and you can do a lot of communicating up front, expectation setting. Hey, we want to show up with excellence on these calls. Let's really be here. Don't be doing other things. And if somebody taught something, like if, if we had 10 people right here, let's say this was our own team meeting and you and I are teaching something, we would employ what's called an active learning cycle. And an active learning cycle is very simple. At the end of the teaching, we'd say, okay, everybody, what's the most important idea or two ideas that you got from that message right now? We're going to stream the music in, take 60 seconds, write them down real quick, right? By the way, there's ways at the beginning of the call, so everybody hold up your pen, right? We, when we're running these calls, whether it's CEOs, sales teams, it doesn't matter, engineers, it's pen and paper. We don't want people taking notes or doing things on their computer for reasons that are probably obvious. So at the end of a teaching, say, hey, everybody, take a minute or two, write down what you just learned, right? Let them write it down or circle it or underline it or highlight it. Put them into groups of two, three, or four and say, just go around the horn and share with each other, what did you learn right now? I mean, this was important to do in the room, and yet we still weren't doing it, to move learning from passive to active, right? But online, it's even more important because you got to counter for the fact that their kids are in the background or you know, there's other distractions. So, And then it, they're in those groups sharing, what did they learn? You give them two, three, four minutes, bring them back to the whole group and say, hey, love to hear from two, three, four of you. What did you talk about in your group that was useful or valuable or interesting? That's three steps. We call that an active learning cycle. You can run that again and again at different intervals just to pull people into engagement. The other thing, Dan, another just practical tip, and there's, forgive me, there's a lot that we could get into on this. I'm just trying to think, what are the easiest ways to solve the biggest problems? Is getting people up to speed on the technology. So I led a webinar of our own yesterday. We had 60 people in there from all over the world. And 
I said, hey, by show of hands, good way to get people to turn their video on, by show of hands, I would like to know right now how many of you have never been on a call where you've been put into breakout rooms? 80% of them put their hand up. So that told me I need to give a real-time verbal tutorial on what the experience is going to be like. I'm going to push a button. A blue box is going to come up on your screen. Hit the blue box that says, send me into the room. For 20 seconds, a little wheel will spin. You'll go into the room. Everything will be okay. You'll be there with one or two other people. And by the way, if you end up in that room with a few people whose tech is not working, they can come back to the main room. We can fix it. So like, you have to coach people through this whole language that two weeks ago, none of us needed to know, right? There's one other thing that's very helpful is if we have a meeting or a training that starts at uh, one o'clock, we'll say, hey, connection time and check-in starts at 1240. And, for, and we'll let people show up 20 minutes earlier. And we'll say, it's just optional. Just hang out time. We'll stream some music. We'll let Brother James play some live music. And what we're doing is we're actually doing video and audio testing for everybody. And sometimes we don't even tell them. People show up early and we go, hey, Dan, hey, how you doing today? And I just want to see if your audio works. That's it. I'm not telling you that I'm actually doing an AV check. But because the problem is, I mean, we're running big webinars right now with hundreds of people. You can't do hundreds of AV checks, but I can get a whole bunch done really quickly for 15 minutes ahead of time. In some cases, without people knowing, sometimes I'll tell them, but getting people to make sure their audio and video works before the call starts versus wasting time when it was supposed to start. That's another kind of basic the other thing too is here at Exchange, we got a faculty. We have eight people that are doing this round the clock right now. If someone's in a position where this makes or breaks their business surviving, like you can talk to us. And most of our faculty is donating to give somebody coaching and to actually come co-facilitate one call. And then if you want their help beyond that, you could hire them. But um, we have folks that can come in and co-facilitate because I can make this sound like it's going to work and it's easy and it does work. There is a lot of, there's a big learning curve on managing the tech and what settings do you push for people coming into meetings? Because you can set it so that they have to have their video on when they come in. Please, everybody set it so we don't have to hear a chime every time somebody comes in the room. We don't need to hear 84 chimes. You could set it so everybody's muted when they come in. That's also very respectful. We don't need to hear people getting in and out of their car as they're getting onto the call. So there's these, all these small little things you could not do this and things still work. But if you have a co-host, you can make someone a co-host. So a lot of our bigger calls, I mean, I have a call with 20 CEOs in two hours. I have a co-host with me because I don't want to worry about any of this. And it's Laura and she's going to be there to make, if anybody accidentally unmutes, I'm not going to interrupt the flow of a deep dialogue and say, Hey, Mr. Joe CEO, Mrs. Joe, can you please? Uh, no, we have somebody who does that all silently. So you have a seamless experience. I'll give you one more example, Dan. I'm trying to get lots of practical stuff out there. This is a whole new language of etiquette we're learning. How about the chat box? How many of us have been on a Zoom call where people are, things are going on in the chat box while there's a call going on? Now, that feels okay. And there's actually some cool ways to use the chat box to engage people, right? Like yesterday, I had one call where after an activity, I said, everybody in one word, how do you feel right now? Put it in the chat box. Or everybody of 20 seconds, what was the biggest learning from the last hour? Put in the chat box. We had 84 people on that particular call. I, I wasn't going to have that many chime in. However, there are also times where you want to disable chat because to allow people to chat during a meeting, I mean, think about this, everybody. If we were running a team meeting, just imagine we're running a team meeting with 25 people and three of them are talking across the room while somebody's talking from the front of the room. Once again, you would look and say, 
you're a sociopath or an <laughs> asshole or something, right? <laughs> Why do we allow that on a chat box? Yes. So I'm serious about this. Like there's some serious etiquette. I mean, even now you can get really, you can go far with this. Like where I'm, I have you positioned on my screen so that as I look at you, if someone watches this live, it almost feels like I'm looking at them. Because if I move you over here right now, it looks like I'm looking somewhere else. Right. So there is no end to this new vocabulary, but there's a few basics that we ought to think through. Even things we used to do that now that we're all living in this Zoomiverse right now, we got to rethink what makes sense. Like I, when I'm hosting a call, if somebody's speaking or teaching or training, I disable the chats. Not just so the participants aren't speaking, but because uh, depending on the settings, the chats can put a notification up every time. That's a distraction. I can't keep focused when that's happening. So right. these are just a few of the little things that we got to figure out in this new world. Yeah. Great stuff, John. Great stuff. And if somebody wants more learnings from you and your team, it's uh, exchangeapproach.com. Yeah, exchangeapproach.com. We've got a webinar we're doing every couple of days and it's an experiential webinar where we, we, we actually move through these processes and we show people whether they lead teams or they run what we call a learning environment. We, we give as many of our frameworks away as fast as we can. You know, we have like 17 different choreographies and you know, hundreds of questions. And on the webinar, we've, we've handpicked like the four most important... Choreography just means like the processes of different types of conversations. And we've handpicked about the four or five most important questions right now. And we're leading people through those. And if someone wants to talk to our faculty, either about getting some coaching or coming through our training, we do have an online version of our training because we were supposed to have an in-person version of our training in April that we had you know, 90 people coming to here in I Ohio. Got, I got flights for that one already, John. Yeah. I got good news for you, Dan. <laughs> in your underwear, you don't even have to have pants on. You can actually attend that event now virtually because we've figured out how to move like 90% of what we do in a room online. So we're now what used to be our certification that's an honor to say that certification sold out four or five months in advance going back three years. We obviously need to run more of them if that's true because I don't want to raise those prices. We just moved that to an online version of that training and it starts in a couple of weeks. So people are curious about that. They can go to exchange, the letter X, the word change, approach.com. And they can um, you know, ask to talk to one of our faculty who again, will donate a coaching conversation right now. They, they're not connected to any sales pitch. It's just, if you want to ask them about our trainings, they'll tell you. But if anybody is in serious need, what I don't want is somebody who listens to this, who wants a friend right now. And I totally understand if there's people that do, don't take up a call with our faculty just to shoot the breeze. If somebody has a serious need, you know, a large event, a large conference, a large challenge from a leadership perspective, go grab one of their spots on our site. You can just ask to talk to us and they'll talk to you within the next 48 hours. Great. Well, I, I certainly know that uh, we've got some big events coming up in my region that we're going to have to move to a online platform. And then we're thinking about how we can leverage this for other future things down the road. So. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll be able to use some insights and I'm sure some of my peers will be able to as well. Yeah. Can I share one thought on that? I know we're, we're going to come up to the end yeah, in a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Here. You know, one, one thought on that is we're in this crisis mode. There's a value to both thoughtful caution and how anybody does anything. There's also a necessity for speed. And here's the beautiful thing about this platform that you and I are on right now. Like whatever in-person event you were going to run, you know, two months from now, you have the obvious human constraint of 
you can't do that event until you have the people in a room and you have to, you know, have the room and the chairs and the food and all that stuff. That same event and all the essence of it, you could run it in 60 minutes from right now. Obviously, the same people might not be available for it. But the point is, we work with a lot of organizations that we were partnered with to run 200, 500 person large summits, you know, two months, five months, eight months from now. Now, in some cases, they're still going to run those. And in several cases, we've already run an online version of it because they're realizing people need help now. So I'd encourage anybody who has any large event to be careful around all of our old models and beliefs around the concept of an event, because all of our constraints had to do with ability to get people into that room. You might still do that. You might still do it virtually. You can also help people instantly right now, and it's almost free, and people need it right now. Even if you don't have all the answers, getting them some answers now can be better than waiting two weeks or a month or two months. So just throwing that, that thought out there. That's all. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I know that we're, we're taking that advice for sure. And we're proactively uh, connecting with our people on a, on a regular basis right now to help get some of the information they need out there as things change so rapidly. Almost every new day brings some new developments at Crazy. this point, which is uh, one of the most interesting things about it. So, you know, I really, I resonated with one of the things you said earlier about the idea of being willing to be authentic and real, yeah. being willing to share how you feel. I've always had a hard time sort of filtering out things that I'm feeling and, and uh, always have wanted to sort of put out there what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. Um, I've usually been willing to risk looking the fool by being wrong sometimes. And, uh, you know, probably have been wrong plenty of times as this whole thing has developed here. Quite, quite um, a few. I've, I've been keeping track. But I'm putting out the things that I'm feeling so that people can have conversations around it and That's be awesome. able to ask the right questions and think about better solutions and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, I feel like there's there's some value in that for sure. So that 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 resonated for me when you said that earlier today. It's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for modeling that. You know, I know we got way into the weeds of all this tech, and I feel okay about that because for right now, I mean, for a lot of people, it's the only way we could do this. But I'm glad you brought it back to who we are and who we're being. Is uh, it's got to be at the core of of what we're inquiring into right now for sure. Yes. Awesome. Well, John, you're an amazing leader and you're a great mentor for so many people. And it's just that it's good to be in your aura from time to time and be able to see you operate. And I think that uh, people hearing your voice and being able to uh, get gain these insights from you is going to definitely help a lot of people. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Dan. Great to be with you, buddy. That was John Berghoff, everyone. It's just incredible to me what wisdom just oozes out of such a young mind. And it's clear that John has been a real serious student of life and of leadership. There are some questions John posed, which I'd really like everyone to consider right now. If you haven't taken the time to take out a pen and paper during this recording, do that now. Think about this one first. When have I faced a challenge where I had no experience, no playbook, no immediate answers, and I eventually came through it successfully by connecting to a time in your life where you did face some sort of large challenge. You can recapture some of the feelings, emotions, and strategies that helped you to come through that. And those things will help you now. And it's helping to direct your focus in the present. How do I find a sense of responsibility for how I'm showing up? All right, so many things are happening on a near daily basis that are out of our control right now, but one thing that is in our control is how we are showing up for the people who are around us. How can we create experiences of belongingness and connection? 
John offered a lot of specific ideas on how to use video conferencing techniques to bring groups together and to help facilitate greater learning and, uh, you know, to get people to collaborate on solutions for some of the problems that they are facing. There was a lot of good stuff in that section that I hope you guys got. How can we reconnect to some sense of meaningful purpose in all of this, right? This is a great time to remind yourself of why you're doing what you're doing, particularly in your work and what's most important to you in life. And in connecting to that strong sense of purpose, it will bring you greater energy and motivation in the present. Finally, think about this question that John posed, which was, how can you be an island of sanity in a sea of chaos? You know, I've tried for about three weeks now to get people to view this challenge with relative calm, and it's clear that I underestimated the magnitude of what is happening, and I want to own that right here, right now. But remember that in the end, as grave as the situation is for some, we will overcome this, and most of us will be okay. And so what many other people need right now is to have leaders around them to help them maintain perspective. I want to echo what John suggested about being willing to be authentic and real about what you're feeling. I think it's important to be doing that. I think people can relate to that. And also to develop a circle of influence with which you can do this. But also, as John said, create the permission for others to feel that however they feel is acceptable. I want you to know that if you're scared, that's okay. If you're feeling unmotivated at times, that is okay. Most of us are. If you're as concerned as John and I am about the mental health crisis that might arise on the other side of this, that is okay as well. And that's something that gives me, as I mentioned in the uh, conversation, some significant anxiety on a regular basis right now. But whatever disempowering states you may be feeling, remember that there are questions you can ask yourself and strategies you can employ that can help you move from one day to the next and ultimately to come out the other side better for having experienced these times. Great challenges forge us into who we can be. If you've listened this far, I know you'll adapt, evolve, and eventually thrive. Let's all resolve to help as many others do the same through our own extraordinary leadership. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.